Trigger warning. Gun violence, mass shootings, murder, and suicide are discussed in this episode. Viewer discretion is advised. Before this episode begins, we at Point of Do want to express our deep sadness and disheartenment about the increasing number of gun-related violence in the United States and around the world. Unfortunately, since a new gun-related incident seems to be reported every day, some of the information you hear in this episode may be dated by the time you listen to it. However, we hope this episode can still serve as a jumping-off point for conversation, dialogue, and advocacy to combat gun violence in our world. Usually, this would be where a politician or public figure would offer their quote-unquote thoughts and prayers. The insincerity of these words has become blatantly obvious due to their overuse and lack of preventative action taken by those in power. While all those affected by gun violence are on our minds and in our prayers at Point of Due, we want to see more. We want to see action, policy, and change. Enjoy the episode. How are you, Nick? <laughs> well, my leg pits are sweaty. Your leg pits? You know, the backs of your oh, legs. Oh, like the back of your... The backs of your knees, back I guess. Back of your knee. Your, like, knee, your leg elbow. They're, yeah, they're they're wet. Thanks. I'm going to dry them with my notes <laughs> for this episode. Your notes? Oh, my God. I just so that's that's her. you are. You're, you're wet? Is that what we're saying you are? Just the backs of my knees. <laughs> Guys, I'm single. Um, I, so, no, so last night I went to Garth Brooks. Uh, but he oh my god <laughs> what the heck was that that was the biggest bug I've ever seen in my life and it was crawling on me oh my god that was the sound of true fear folks oh my god <laughs> I hated that that was terrifying and we got it on video and audio <laughs> oh my god I think that was a beat too. I literally looked down at my knee and it was on me and I screamed. Oh You don't need to describe God. it. We just witnessed it. Well, you know what? We have our cold open. <laughs> oh my God. I like don't know what to do. Now that I have fully moved locations, we are restarting this episode. Justin, how are you? I am good. That was something. That was interesting. I hope I hope we are able to share that video with people because I had no oh. idea. That was that was the sound of true fear, folks. That was really It absolutely was. That was terrifying. Um I'm so glad we got it on video and we can absolutely share it. Um let's Let's do check-ins while my heart is, my heart rate down, goes down. down. Yes. And the bug is still up there and I will not be going up there until my dad gets home and kills it. <laughs> 
Yes, I am 24 years old. <laughs> What'd you do this weekend? Okay. I was, I was waiting. I was going to say, should I just, should I just talk or I, so today I got lunch with one of our friends, Scott Lombardo. Hello, Scott. Shout out to you. He was in the area because someone he graduated Loyola with was ordained into the priesthood yesterday. So he was in the area and we got lunch and that was really nice. I hadn't been able to see him in a very long time. So that was fun. But on Friday too, I went to an AJR concert. I don't know if if you guys know who AJR is, but they sing weak. I'm weak. And what's wrong with that? Boy, oh boy, I want to know something like that. And I went with my sister at the Xfinity Center, which for those who don't know, is kind of like an outdoor amphitheater type of venue, which is really fun. And I hadn't been there since like 2017, actually. So it was it was a lot of fun, except for the waiting in the parking lot for an hour after the concert, because the way they built the lots is only one entrance. So that wasn't fun. But then I got Wendy's and sat in that drive through for an hour. But it made up for it, I guess. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it was a fun Friday night. I went with my sister. You all know Ashley. And we've heard of her. Yes. And that was a lot of fun. They they were very good performers too. I'll have to say, so that that make I find that makes a concert a lot more entertaining, versus someone who just sings, but they can also entertain and and bring the audience, make them feel like they're a part of it. You know. Yes. Bring so. them to their feet. Well, yeah, exactly, exactly. How what about you? How was your weekend? So I also went to a concert. I went to Garth Brooks, and I will just paint this scene for you. Uh, first of all, I didn't want to be there. I already did not want to be there. But I still would have preferred to watch the first half of the show from my seat and not on a three-mile walk. And what I mean by that is we did miss a big chunk of the beginning of the concert because parking and traffic getting into the show was abhorrent. It was horrible. Um, we parked relatively close to... So we got my dad at 5.30 from work. This was his, his birthday gift. He likes Garth Brooks a lot. Got my dad at 5.30 from work drove in i think the show started at 8 30 we might have got there at nine um so and we could hear garth singing as we were walking into the stadium hey, garth. with multiple yes hey garth how are you um with multiple other people like multiple people like you wouldn't have been able to tell that the show all had already started if you couldn't hear it that's how many people were walking in with us um but it was it was actually i was pleasantly surprised he did a really good job um I'm not a big country fan, but he still put on a really good show, and he was very gracious. He, the You could tell he knew everybody on the team, from the tech team uh, to his band to the backing vocalists, and he sh- he shared that with the crowd. He knew, like, for example, there was, I don't know the name of the person, but he was like, this person was just inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, or this person just won a Grammy, and he talked about how musicians that play on the studio record are different from the ones that go out on tour with you he was just really cool um and something i learned about him when i got home is that he is a republican which i did not know i'm not a hundred percent surprised but i did not know that but he sang at the inauguration of joe biden we believe you and i talked about this before he sang america the beautiful but he did it he got a lot of backlash from a lot of his fans a lot of his fans are conservative and um He's from, I believe he's from Tennessee, but he, he got a lot of backlash, but he said the reason he did it was in a show of unity. 
He was yeah. also asked. He was also asked to perform at Trump's inauguration, and he said he could not. He, now, he, granted, he said it was for uh, scheduling reasons, but he he said it was he performed in the name of unity, and this is something I really respect uh, personally. I don't know. Not I don't know. If I were in his position and it was the opposite, for example, like if I was asked to perform in a Trump inauguration with my beautiful voice, I would have not done it. But those are for obviously I'm on the Democratic side uh, of the political spectrum. But I just I thought that was cool that he was able to do that. And I want to believe that he did that to take a stance against hate and also to choose the right side of history. And I was impressed because I already knew that he has advocated for LGBTQ rights, which is monumental in country music, honestly. Um, and he did it a long time ago. Like, I think it was in the 90s, which I, I think that's really cool. Um, so yeah, that was just, that leads me a little bit into our conversation today. Um, yeah, do you want to share what we're going to talk about today? Yes. So basically, we are going to be talking about gun violence in America and why it is a public health issue. And also what we can do to promote a change. Yes, and 1968 is the earliest that the CDC, and the CDC keeps track of these type of statistics because gun violence, and you're going to talk about this, is considered a, a public health issue. So, of course. So the, 1968 was the earliest that the CDC has online records for these types of things, but okay, a lot of what I'm talking about is going to be in more recent years, unless it's like comparing today versus way back when so yeah we want to talk about this i mean there's been gun violence hasn't really been something that has slowed down in the united states unfortunately it's kind of been an issue that has gained a lot of media attention because of the rise in mass shootings in fact going from 2000 the year 2000 there were uh and i don't want to say only because that makes it that makes it sound like oh there was only three but there were three mass shootings in 2000 and now we have an average of 40 mass shootings that happen annually in the year 2020 which is the last full year that we have full data about gun violence so that just kind of puts it in perspective although i'll have to say mass shootings are only a fraction of the gun violence that occurs in our country in the united states Yes, that is still they still are something that we have to acknowledge and have to take into account because that is, you know, someone going and killing a bunch of people just because, you know, various reasons is just something that we have to talk about, you know. So Nick and I felt like, yeah. Sorry, I was just gonna say if it happens once, it's a tragedy. Right. And the fact that we're as a country have become numb to it now is a huge issue. So. I have a couple of facts about the situation here. So, first off, how many guns are there in the United States? Well, the United States ratio is 120 and a half firearms per 100 residents in the United States. So, per 100 residents, there's 120 and a half firearms. That's up from 88 per 100 in 2011 and far surpasses that of other countries around the world. And my sources, by the way, are the BBC and Pew Research Center. And they will, of, of course, be posted in the description of this episode. More recent data also suggests that gun ownership has grown significantly over the last several years. 
One study published by the Annals of Internal Medicine in February of 2022 found that 7.5 million U.S. adults, that's just under 3% of the population, became first-time new gun owners between January of 2019 and April of 2021. This, in turn, exposed about 11 million people to firearms in their homes for the first time, including 5 million children. About half of new gun owners in that time period were women, while 40% were either black or Hispanic. A separate study published by the American Academy for Pediatrics in 2021 linked a rise in gun ownership during the pandemic to higher rates of gun injuries among and inflicted by children. Now, listen to that. Among children, so injuries to children, but also inflicted by children, which could be anything from, you know, a, a child is considered anyone who's, you know, zero to 17 years in the United States, right? So either someone could have accidentally, you know, fired a, fired a gun and hurt somebody or, you know, anything in between. A couple other facts here. In 2020, there were 45,222 gun-related deaths in the United States. To put that in perspective, Nick, that would be filling Orioles Park at Camden Yards with, with fans, completely selling it out, and then everyone in there dying. So that's how many gun deaths, about how many gun deaths happened in, in the year 2020. That figure includes gun murders and gun suicides, along with three other less common types of gun-related deaths tracked by the CDC, which include unintentional, those that involved law enforcement, and those whose circumstances could not be determined. Nearly 53 people are killed each day in the United States by a far firearm, according to this data. To kind of break up the um, first two categories that I talked about, gun murders and gun suicides, 54% of all gun-related deaths in the United States were suicides. That's 54% of all gun-related deaths. 43% were murders. To break that down a little bit further, in, ter for, in terms of the murders, 79 U.S. murders, or sorry, 79% of uh, U.S. murders in 2022 involved a firearm. That's the highest since 1968. And as I mentioned earlier, 1968 was the earliest that the CDC had record for tracking these, this type of data. To compare that, 79% of U.S. murders in 2020 involved a firearm. In other countries, only 4% in the UK involved a firearm, 37% in Canada, and 13% in Australia. Talking about suicides, 53% of all suicides in the United States in 2020 involved a gun, and that percentage has remained pretty stable in recent years. A 2016 study published in the American Journal of Public Health found there was a strong relationship between higher levels of gun ownership in a state and higher firearm suicide rates for both men and women. Now, how have U.S. gun deaths changed over time? Well, as I mentioned earlier, 45,222 gun-related deaths happened in 2020. This was by far the most on record. This was a 14% increase from the year before, a 25% increase from 2015, and a 43% increase from 2010. Gun murders rose the sharpest, with a 4% increase from 2019 
49% increase since 2015, and 75% increase since 2010. Gun-related suicides also have been rising, climbing to ten, uh, climbing, climbing 10% since 2015 and 25% since 2010. Now, to briefly discuss the rates of gun deaths, which I talked about before the the um, how deaths have changed over time and, and just the, the raw number doesn't necessarily account for how the population has changed, but the rates of gun deaths have also increased. Mississippi, Louisiana, Wyoming, Missouri, and Alabama have the highest rates of gun-related deaths, including murder, suicides, and the other categories mentioned before, while New York, Rhode Island, New Jersey, Massachusetts, and Hawaii have the lowest. Not surprisingly, the first states I mentioned have some of the country's least restrictive legislation around firearms, while the latter states that I mentioned have some of the most restrictive laws on guns. And again, all of these statistics and facts can be found in the sources in the description. So just from that, those stats, you can kind of see that I'm painting a little bit of a grim picture here, Nick. It's again tracked by the CDC because the United States does consider gun violence to be a public health issue in our country. And I understand that when you were doing your research, you found an article and some data around treating this issue as a public health issue. Yeah. Yes. So the report I found is called The Public Health Approach to Gun Violence Prevention. And it was published in November 2020 by the Educational Fund to Stop Gun Violence. And I found it on the Johns Hopkins website, the college. So before we really get into the report, I do just want to share what they shared at the beginning, which is the difference between public health and healthcare. So I'm going to read directly from it. People often assume that public health is the same as healthcare. While both strive to improve health and well-being, they approach this goal differently. In healthcare, the focus is on improving the health of the individual. In contrast, Public health focuses on improving the health of an entire population through large-scale interventions and prevention programs. Public health works to address the many factors that determine the health and well-being of populations. These factors are often referred to as risk and protective factors. They are characteristics or behaviors in individuals, families, communities, and the larger society that increase or decrease the likelihood of premature death, injury, or poor health. The goal, basically, of public health is to maximize the overall health and well-being of the population. Uh, gun violence, as you just detailed for us with all of the statistics, uh, it's a public health epidemic that affects the well-being and public safety of all Americans, right? It can happen to anyone. We see it happening in movie theaters, schools, malls. I think grocery stores, hair, grocery stores was most recent, I believe. Um, and that is, that's enough to make it, in my opinion, that's enough to make it a public health issue. Uh, but the, before we get started, because when I have talked about gun violence in the past, I've said, we just need to ban guns. We need to get rid of guns. Other countries don't have this issue. And I still would not be angry about not having guns personally. I, I don't own them myself, but I just mean if America were to get rid of the guns, 
in a perfect world, that would be okay with me. But having, you know, done this research today, there are underlying causes of gun violence that wouldn't necessarily go away if we just got rid of guns. Um, so I, and I know that this issue has also become very, very politicized. So it's one side says get rid of the guns, one doesn't. I was listening to, I always have to relate, as you know, to, I always bring up pop musicians, but I was watching an, uh, an acceptance speech that the artist Pink gave. Um, when she was awarded the People's Champion Award at the Billboard Awards in, I believe, 2019. And she said something along the lines of, I don't care about your politics. I care about your kids. And that is, I think that fits so well here because kids are going to school and parents, are, I mean, you can assume that they're going to be safe, but you just don't know. And I guess that's the nature of just life and uncertainty. But the rates of, you know, school shoot, the amount of school shootings are much higher here, as you showed us, than they are in other countries. That said, in the past couple of weeks, and I just want to point out that I am jumping back in here, it is uh, June 4th, so this is another amendment, but in the past couple of weeks, I've seen posts um, from people in other countries saying, you know, we have a lot of the same issues, uh, mental health issues, um, we play the same video games, we listen to the same music, and we don't have the death rate um, by gun that America does. And so what's the difference? The difference is they, you know, they regulate their guns. We really don't do a great job of that at all, clearly. Um, and I agree with them. So I guess this is kind of an example of, you know, we speak our truth to learn the truth. I'm kind of uh, learning as we go. But I don't know. I think that, yes, the answer is stricter gun laws and gun control in America. And also, there are underlying causes of these shootings that also need to be addressed. Once again, back to two weeks ago. It's not just a gun issue, right? Because if we get rid of guns, domestic, that doesn't get rid of domestic violence. If we get rid of guns, that, yeah, that's going to probably decrease it, but we're still going to have suicides. Um, if we get rid of guns, we're still going to have police brutality. Like, there are other issues intertwined and underlying to this, to this, um... Absolutely, yeah. Massive issue. So, the public health approach, um outlined by the CDC and the World Health Organization, um, has four steps. So do you have what, I just want to, because I just said a lot, do you have any comments on that? No, I think that makes a lot of sense. I don't necessarily think that, in some cases, guns, yes, are the issue. But I think a lot of the reason why there is gun violence is because of other, other things that are going on. You know, I think guns, what their role is, is they exacerbate anything that might be going on right like a mental health issue that someone might be experiencing or a, a domestic violence type of situation or anything like that it just having a gun in the vicinity can quickly escalate a situation that is already bad right um and so i agree and i i really like what you said about the guns exacerbating the problem and i do want to reiterate that i am very anti-gun but i was just in terms of going through this research and going through this report and because at this point I'm not like I said I'm not I don't see it as this side this side it's just I think that honestly the safety of kids and the safety of us as adults too is something that I hope 
all parties can come together and agree that that's something that we all want, right? Like that's, I would hope. But yeah, and and later on too, I'll talk about how you talked about how it's got become a political issue, and it, it very much is a political issue in the United States. Of and I'll talk about who who is in support of gun control, who is opposes gun control, and I'll talk about both sides. Yes. So I want to go through quickly the uh, four steps to this public health approach. So the first step, um, defining and monitoring the problem. So they, we talked there are many types of gun violence, and they require different solutions, as we kind of touched upon a second ago. But this step is all about collecting the data, distributing reliable firearm data is essential to combating gun violence through a public health approach. So it talks, the report talked about how data should include the demographic of the victim and the shooter, location in the time of shooting, type of violence that occurred, that type of thing. Um, but this is this was the part that I found most interesting and agreed with um, a lot was that data should be made widely available and easily accessible to the general public. Um, and I think that's super important because we talk about education and how that, you know, levels of education uh, can combat other issues that are intertwined, such as racism, you know, all of that. Right. We've talked about it with homophobia, transphobia. We've just education is power right and it knowledge is power and it keeps us safe but what i also wanted to say there is it's kind of like seeing is believing when we publish all of this information because there's a lot of oh we should take guns away we shouldn't take guns away and that be, that makes it a very binary discussion but i feel like seeing adds to believing so i i i do agree with i mean with all of that but i I really resonated with the making the information available to all. The second step was identify risk factors and pre protective and preventative factors. So basically focuses on prevention and identifies specific risk factors at the community and societal level, uh, as well as the individual level. So for example, individual level, having a gun in one's home. So the report, and I will, we can link the report and we can link all of its sources, but it mentioned that having a gun in one's home doubles the chance of dying by homicide and increases the likelihood of suicide death by over threefold. I don't think our founding fathers knew how deadly guns could become. Not yeah, saying that I, those I would... guns were dead, weren't deadly, but you know right, what I'm saying. Right, right. But now, yeah. So that was like the, the individual level. On the community level, um, it talks, the report talked more about the underlying issues um, and the, their presence. So under-resourced neighborhoods, high concentrations of poverty, lack of economic opportunity, um, discrimination, all of anybody who is faced with those challenges are more likely to experience higher rates of violence. Um, and these community-level fa factors are often the result, as it mentioned, of deep structural inequities rooted in racism. Okay, so the at the same time, when it comes to the mass shootings in schools, in malls a lot of that is due to just toxic masculinity and a lot of you know a lot of the times it's a white man with his ego bruised that ends up acting out uh in a racist and hateful way or a homophobic and hateful way um so i just wanted to add that too because that's a huge underlying issue as well okay so the third step in this public health approach is to develop and test prevention strategies for gun violence. So it talked about the foundation for effective gun violence prevention being universal background checks and making it a law that that is the standard, as well as ensuring that each person who seeks to purchase a firearm undergoes a background check prior to the purchase. 
um, supplemented by firearm a firearms uh, licensing system. So those regulate and track the flow of firearms to ensure that they don't make it into the hands of prohibited individuals. Now, before we, so do you have any thoughts on the whole? Well, we shouldn't because we've there's been a lot of talk of like, well, if we have gun control, like if we have stricter rules on guns, people who are going to are going to use them for for to harm other people like they're going to get them anyway even if they can't get them legally like they're they're just going to get them illegally what are your thoughts on that because i've heard that argument a bunch i don't know if you have yeah i i don't think there's any harm in making it more difficult for someone who wants to perpetrate violence because i think that's what it will do the report this was i found this really interesting said research shows that when individuals are required to undergo a background check and obtain a license to purchase a firearm far fewer firearms are diverted into illegal markets so that was interesting to Mm. me too so it's like yeah maybe the people who are you know doing illegal things with guns and getting them illegally are going to continue to get them that way but the people who are you know registering like they're it kind of talked about how there was less of a chance that those guns would then make it into the hands of the wrong people. Right. It's so like doing it the was... right, doing it the right, doing the right thing, which uh, I hesitate to say the right thing because I, in my opinion, gun violence owning, I, I'm freaked out by guns. I mean, Ryan me too. can tell me, Ryan can tell you about this. I went and visited him the other, uh, a couple months ago and he was skeet shooting. He's like, you want to try? And I was like, I'm good. And I was just kind of in awe watching him skeet shoot. But yeah. <laughs> That I, you know, I think people who want to buy a firearm for, say, self defense or whatever, what have you, and they're not going to do nefarious things like perpetuate a mass shooting, then I think there's nothing there. They won't. They won't have issue with just okay. Background check this, this, and this because it is going. It is a potentially deadly piece of machinery that you are purchasing. Yeah, I could. I would never want a gun. I wouldn't trust myself with a gun just in the way that I don't know what to do with it. You could like, literally I would, ask Ryan. I was like, oh my god, a gun. That's that what I'm saying. So I would funny. never, yeah, I would never do, first of all, I wouldn't want to do anything right. to anybody. And acknowledging, but like, our, acknowledging our bias here for this episode is just this bias, is where we stand. Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah, our bias and also just my like lack of knowledge about, like, I would just be afraid to have one in the house for the fear that it would like go off, like, yeah, yeah. without touching it, which like, I know I think that's, I don't think that's how guns work, but I'm not going to lie. I don't know. Um, But anyways, the last step of this um, system to prevent gun violence uh, is to ensure widespread adoption of effective strategies. So it talks about how, and this is, this is, we would know this just, you know, from common sense. um, These prevention policies are only effective if they're properly implemented and also in an equitable manner. So historically disenfranchised, this part I found really important and I wanted to make it special note of this historically disenfranchised groups should be involved in the implementation process to make sure public health strategies do not have unintended consequences basically so the public health approach includes a focus on allocating uh, funds for implementing and evaluating these gun violence prevention strategies at the federal state and also local levels so i just said a lot of things do you have any any thoughts comments no, I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, if we're going to treat gun violence like a public health issue, we should treat it like like anything, you know? Like for COVID, you're going to have to follow those four steps in order for it to be an, an effective prevention and 
uh, treating treating platform. You know, I I'm I'm very much an audio, or not an audio, a visual learner. So I don't have the four steps in front of me. I know that three was or two was community, one was individual, four was effectively implement. What was number three? Um, four, four was effectively implement. Number yep. three was develop and test prevention strategies. Yeah, and I think that that that's a good that's a good blueprint for a lot of different things. And I think that that the way you outlined it accurately. We can see how it can apply to this issue. Thank you. So I said that I would give some statistics about mass shootings because those tend to be the incidences of gun violence that get the most attention in the media because, well, they are horrific. Not that any other gun violence is less than or more than, but mass shootings do get a lot of media attention both on TV and on social media and other different platforms. So let's talk about that a little bit. First off, this is a kind of a difficult question to answer what what is a mass shooting because there is no single agreed upon definition in in really any source. Uh the FBI collects data on active shooter incidents which is defined as one or more individual actively engaged in killing or attempting to kill people in a populated area. So, for the sake of simplicity, let's go with the active shooter incidents definition for mass shootings. The FBI found an increase in active shooter incidents between the year 2000 and 2020 rise from 3 to 40, as I mentioned in the episode, uh, earlier in the episode. In the United States, the Las Vegas, Nevada shooting in 2017 was the deadliest in U.S. history and still holds the, that spot. It killed more than 50 people and left 500 people wounded. Regardless of the definition being used, fatalities and mass shooting incidents in the U.S. account for only a small fraction of all gun murders that occur nationwide each year. Now, let's talk a little bit about what types of firearms are used in these incidents. So in 2020, handguns were involved in 59% of the 13,620 U.S. gun murders and non-negligent manslaughters for which data is available, according to the FBI. Rifles the category that includes guns sometimes referred to as assault rifles or assault weapons, were involved in 3% of firearm murders. Shotguns were involved in 1%, and the remainder of gun homicides and non-negligent manslaughters, 36%, involved other kinds of firearms or those classified as type not stated. Now, it's important to note that the FBI statistics do not capture the details on all gun murders in the U.S. each year, but the FBI's data is based on information voluntarily submitted by police departments around the country, and not all agencies participate or provide complete information each year. So this information is not complete by any means, and that is something that in the U.S. I think should be standardized, a reporting of gun-related incidents so that there is data to just more accurately paint a picture of how bad of an issue this is in our country. Yes, that goes back to what I was saying about kind of making it more palpable, right? And being less of a just oh that'll never happen to me or uh giving the information giving idea. people information and access to information. Yes. Right. Um yeah. So to finish up what I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about different laws that can be passed to help the gun violence issue in the United States and then I'm going to talk about who supports these types of laws and who tend to oppose these types of laws. So there, what I found, and I'm no expert here, but during my research, I found that there were three different types of laws. 
there were background check laws, which Nick talked about how in order to purchase a firearm and receive a permit, you have to go through X amount of background checks. And those vary per state. There are permit permit and licensing laws. Permits are for those who are purchasing the firearm. Licensing laws are for those who are selling the firearms. And that can that can vary as well per state. And then there are bans, outright bans. So those are the three types, right? We have background checks, permit and licensing laws, and we have bans. That's Justin's summary summary of three different types of laws that can be uh, passed at both the state level as well as federal level to help with the decrease of, of gun violence. Now, who tends to support these types of laws? Well, despite widespread and vocal public outrage, often in the wake of gun violence, American support for stricter gun laws in 2020 actually fell to the lowest level since 2014, according to polling by Gallup. Only 52% of Americans surveyed said they wanted stricter gun laws, while 35% said they should remain the same. 11% surveyed said that laws should be made less strict, actually. The, issues, the issue is also one that is hyper-partisan and extremely divisive, as Nick and I have previously said. Now, they tend to fall largely along party lines, with Democrats nearly unanimous in their support for stricter gun laws, the same Gallup study noted this, with 91% in favor of stricter gun laws. Only 24% of Republicans, on the other hand, agreed with the same statement. That is, stricter gun laws are important, or rather are in favor of stricter gun laws. And 45% of independent voters are in favor of stricter gun laws. Some states have actually taken steps to ban or strictly regulate ownership of assault weapons, and laws vary by state, as I mentioned, but California, for example, has banned ownership of assault weapons with limited, very, very, very limited exceptions. Now, who opposes gun control? Despite years of financial woes and internal strife, the National Rifle Association, or the NRA, still remains the most powerful gun lobbyist in the United States, with a substantial budget to influence members of Congress on gun policy. In January 2022, the NRA filed for bankruptcy as part of a fraud case against some of its own senior, senior staff, but even after the move, it vowed to continue confronting anti-secondary amendment activities, promoting firearm safety and training, and advancing public programs across the United States. Over the last several election cycles, it and other organizations have consistently spent more on pro-gun rights messaging than their rivals had in the gun control lobby. Finally, a number of states have also gone as far as to largely eliminate any restrictions on who can carry a gun. In June of 2021, for example, Texas Governor Greg Abbott signed into a law a permitless carry bill that allows the state's residents to carry a handgun without any license, permit, or Jesus. training. Or training. That's so stupid. this is kind of the picture of where we are politically in the United States. And yes, a lot of different federal regulations can be passed. But really, even if federal regulations don't pass, states have the power to make a lot of change. And in the example that I gave of California has done that. And then in the case of Texas, they have gone the other way. And so there, here's the picture that we have. And like any political issue in the United States, it is hyper polarized. So, Nick, what are your initial thoughts after hearing that? So 
again, when we talk about it with respect to like different political parties, I see it as okay, one we say like yeah, one side thinks that we should have stricter gun laws or ban guns altogether. One side believes that you should just be able to, you know, or no, that we shouldn't have stricter gun laws or the opposite uh the opposite extreme where you should just be able to carry whenever like the handgun law in Texas which is horrible uh in my opinion sorry i i don't know i see it as more of a like yeah those two uh, sides have different opinions but when you think about like the issue of just oh we want less deaths of like less murders in the country like i would think that both parties would want to come together and solve that be it through gun you know i don't know what that what that entails is it getting rid of guns personally i don't think that's just the end all be all issue i definitely think it would lower the rate of violence and you know and death but i don't think it would complete like i think there's more underlying cause not i think i know there's more to it than just that so we have to come at it from all angles but i really do believe that both sides can come together to at least agree that we we want less if not for yeah Absolutely. And it's not just black and white, too, right? When I said that 91% of Democrats are in favor of stricter gun laws and 24% of Republicans are, uh, according to this Gallup poll, are in the 2020 Gallup poll are in favor of stricter gun laws and 45% of independent voters are in favor of stricter gun laws, right? So it, it, is, it is gray and, it's, and it seems like it's, it's an impossible issue to meet in the, to find common ground on. But there are members of both parties that are more moderate or are willing to have conversations about this, you know? And I think that's yes. where we can kind of find to, or start to start to have solutions to the gun violence issue in our country is finding common ground and meeting people where they are and saying, okay, let's talk about why are you in support of gun control? Why are you against gun control? Let's talk about this and see if we can... Oh, we both we both want uh, universal background checks. Then let's pass something about universal background checks. And so it's yes, or starting we both that conversation want, in in the Congress. Yeah, or we both want less. Not to be graphic, but this is what I mean. Like we both want there to be less shootings of like kids in elementary school. Like let's come because that's that's what I mean. Like when we look, when we view it that way. Like I to be honest, if that weren't happening and people weren't dying from gun violence, I wouldn't care if someone had a gun. Like, I, I genuinely wouldn't. Do what you want, like, for recreational purposes, yeah, go have fun. But, like, that's not the—I don't actually care about, like, you own a gun, you don't own a gun. I care about, basically, the public safety. Right, and that's where it gets into different causes, right? It's what is the cause yes. of the person that wanted to go into a school and shoot it up. It's, oh, that's, was it the, yeah. Was it the mental health? Was it the were there larger, broader things going on at home? Was it then— all of these different things led to, okay, he had access to a gun or she had access to a gun, although it tends to be men who perpetrate this type of mass shootings. It goes back a lot to our conversation about, you know, toxic masculinity. Right. And then like, because of all these issues, then he had access to a gun and that exacerbated it. So that's, that's you know, at least on Capitol Hill, I find that's where the debates are kind of happening because it's, it's, it's rights but also public health issue and limiting deaths, but also what is the cause of it? And that's where the debate goes on. Healthy, healthy debate, but not talking about it is unhealthy. Yes. Which is why we're so, talking about it this episode. Yes. I 
I want to talk about the public health pyramid that the report uh, champions, I guess. Um, it has three different layers, and there are, you know, sub-layers in between, like there are th in between the three, but the top of it talks about narrowly tailored interventions that work with individuals, so on the individual level, to mitigate gun violence. So, and Nick, to clarify, the top of it is the smallest part of the pyramid? Yes, yes. Okay. And to be honest, to be honest, it doesn't really matter. It's not, I guess it does, but it's, it's, I, I just think of it as three parts, and this is kind of like the, the surface level of how okay. to how to fight gun violence um, for lack of it. That's a poor choice of words, but uh, the top of it, it's example. You know so how to find humor in everything. <laughs> no, I wasn't even trying to, but so narrowly tailored interventions that work with individuals to mitigate gun violence. So examples of that are uh, lethal means safety counseling, violence intervention programs. All of these basically, or both of these provide tools to support and change behavior, but it's still kind of on the individual to take action, right? And to decide that they don't want to to do these things. It's like lead, the whole leading a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Yeah, um, yeah. The middle of the pyramid requires less individual action. It's more about laws and policies that change the environment within communities to mitigate the risk factors. So examples being what I talked about earlier a little bit, universal background checks and firearm licensing. And I talked about how research shows that when individuals are required to undergo the background checks um it makes it less likely that the guns will get into the hands of people that that shouldn't have them um then the bottom of the public health pyramid it's focuses more on conditions within society that lead to the poor poor health outcomes like violence or like gun violence so those are racial disparities inequality inequity poverty inadequate housing and lack of uh education right so policies, it the report talked about policies that reduce these root issues hold enormous potential to reduce gun violence. So that's why they're like the deepest, that's, that's why they're bottom of the pyramid. It's digging the deepest and kind of finding the root causes. Um, but they require a much broader collective effort to achieve. And they also, on, the, on that note, require minimum individual effort to be effective at reducing gun violence. It's more um, of a structural thing. It, quite literally, because it's the bottom of the pyramid, but also just, you know. But I also think that a lot of it, like we talk about the education piece um, and the, you know, the violence intervention programs, but I think we've talked about this before. Like, there's a lot of unlearning that needs to go on from privileged group, too. Um, and I think that can happen at all three levels. So the, the note that I made um, at the top that, you know, the different the individual commitment is commitment to education equity um whereas the middle the middle of the pyramid would be laws protecting minorities and anti-discriminatory laws right the bottom in my opinion would be laws that ensure the most economically privileged are taxed at higher rates than those who cannot afford to be um i think this is of course relative there was something very interesting that this report shared um and it talked about the public health success of car safety in the last 50 years, which I thought was very interesting. Apparently, that is the greatest success, public health success that um, America has achieved. Mm. Um, I did not know that. Um, so it used to the same when we when the U.S. was looking at, you know, deaths by car accident. Um, it used to the same thing, the uh, comprehensive public health program or an approach to it. And in doing so, the U.S., Per mile driving deaths were reduced by 80% from 1967 to 2017. 
So there is a push to use that same uh, system, basically, to combat, to combat gun violence. So what does that mean? Well, uh, there are a bunch of steps that include, I'll, I'll just list them quickly, allocate, regulate, licensing, registration, prohibit risky people, manufacturing standards, age requirements, license renewal, ongoing monitoring and regulation, and liability. So, for example, I'll do the first one, allocation, um, preventing car crashes, allocate funds to study the epidemic of motor vehicle crashes. When it comes to preventing gun deaths, it would be allocating funds to the CDC and other organizations to research gun violence. Go to the next step, then regulate. It would be allowing federal agencies to regulate firearm manufacturers and ensure gun safety. Right, and it just goes down the list. Like I could registration would be pass firearm uh, registration laws to ensure that firearms are registered at each point of sale. That's a that's a really interesting parallel that you make, though, taking where how far we've come in terms of increasing vehicular safety, mm-hmm. and 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 using that kind of as a as as inspiration blueprint? maybe for yeah blueprint or inspiration for how to create gun safety in the United States. How do we make it safer? Right. And I think that's a really unique. I really do like that parallel. I do, too. I, th- I found it very interesting. So let's just open let's open up the conversation. You know what? After hearing all of this. I can answer first, Nick, but what are your thoughts? I mean, my thoughts are, are this. The, what what fact? Right. Fact is an increase in guns is linked to an increase in gun related injuries. And that that was proven in the sources that I. I use for my research. And so I think, do we need to ban guns? No. Do we need to necessarily have wartime weapons in non-wartime areas? No. I don't think that's necessary. And, you know, if you're using a gun for self-defense, if you're using a gun to go hunting, I don't necessarily think you need an assault rifle. I also think that training and background checks is super important. And to be honest, there is there is bipartisan support for universal background checks and safety. It's just a matter of getting prioritizing these types of laws and passing them. And I feel like if we're able to make little steps as we go, then we will learn more one about what makes someone want to use a gun and perpetuate violence. And what what works and what's not. I don't think that the answer falls on one side of the debate or the other. I think it falls somewhere in the middle. And that's where I think conversation is so important. But what are your thoughts, Nick? So I guess right now I have two bottom lines. My first is that there just needs to be a commitment on that individual level and on that community and societal level to education and, the, and public safety. I really yeah. think that that simplifies a lot of it. Um, and I, I mentioned before, there are multiple, multiple underlying causes to violence, not just gun violence in America. Um, but I think to sum it up, that there just needs to be a commitment to public safety, which is investing in all of the, in combating all of the examples that I gave earlier. The other thing that I keep coming back to is throwing out the, this party believes this, this party believes this, because I talk a lot, as you know, about like, Things not being black and white, things being very gray, and nothing is certain. I've said this like three times now, but I think that the issue here is not even 
like, I guess it's a sub-issue. It's the, oh, well, I want guns for this. I don't, Like, I'm against guns. I'm not against guns. I really do think that both parties can come together to say, I want less violence. In And I know there are extremists on, I'm sure, both sides. But the well-intentioned American, no matter what their political stance, I believe wants less school shootings and less um, fear, yeah. I guess. You shouldn't have to fear going to the movies. Absolutely. And it's terrible to think that you talk about the movies. Every time I go to a movie, no matter if it's packed or if it's 1054 bad guys children's movie that you went to see, (laughs) I, I would, I would, I always, ever since the Colorado, Aurora, Colorado shooting, when there was a, a a movie theater shooting at, I think it was the dark night. Yeah, it was, I think it was too. I, I always find whenever I'm in a public place, where there's lots of where there's lots of people, I figure out my my what is my escape strategy if someone came in here with a gun, and that shouldn't be that should be the back of my mind, but it, it right. unfortunately is in the forefront of my mind, mm-hmm. and so we wouldn't be point of view if we didn't talk about what can you do. So talking about Nick's individual level, step one of the public health approach, what can you do as a listener? Well. Learn more about gun violence and gun safety in the United States or your country by doing research on your own. You can look at the resources that Nick and I used. And also, we encourage you to do your own research. We definitely did not cover everything that could be talked about in this conversation. We could probably go on for hours and hours and hours. But let this be the start of a conversation, right? Learn something. Do some do some of your own research. Have a conversation with someone that you that you love, someone that you care about and see what they think. The second thing you can do is you can contact your local or state representatives if you live in the United States and share your thoughts and feelings about gun violence and gun safety with them. These are the types of people that can actually pass regulations that Nick and I talked about at the federal and state levels. So that's also something you can do. And Nick and I can share links on how to do that or a script of some kind, but definitely reach out to your local, state and federal representatives. Finally, you can donate uh, money. You know, you can donate funds to uh, organizations like Every Town for Gun Safety or March for Our Lives, which work towards advocating for gun st- safety legislation. So, if maybe you're uncomfortable contacting your own representatives, you can work with them. You don't necessarily have to donate, but you can learn more from their websites, which we'll include in the description of this episode as well. And they'll do the advocating not necessarily for us because at an individual level we definitely have to be a part of the solution but these are organizations who are working day in and day out to hopefully increase gun safety in the united states yes and so with that very heavy episode don't worry next week is very light very light very light both both funny and relaxing somehow. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> I don't think we've ever done a relaxing episode until now. So stay tuned for that. Until then, my name is Justin Dew. And I think I'm Nick Gervasi. And you can reach us at our email, pointofdewpodcast at gmail.com or by sending us a voice message on our website, anchor.fm forward slash pointofdew. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Point of View Podcast and Twitter at Point of View. If you enjoy our show, give us a rating or review in the Apple Podcast Store or share us with a friend or family member. We really appreciate it and are truly grateful for all of your support. As always, we hope you have a wonderful week. 
Thank you for listening, and until next time. Oh,